So we'll look at this new series, um, and really we kind of feel like it's, um, you know, I don't, I don't want us to think that this is just a series we're going to do for a few weeks and then move on to. I, this really is, um, this is a lifestyle, and this is part of something I want us to move into and keep moving into and keep moving into. Um, and so I want to kind of set the scene today in terms of, well, what, you know, what do we mean about being hungry for God? I guess... Um, if you want a title, we're going to call it Hunger Beginning the Journey. Like, where do we start? Um, but even before that, I guess the question is, well, why should we start? You know, what, what is the point of this series? You know, what are we, why should I be hungry? What should I be hungry for? How do I get hungry if I don't feel like I am? And, and really, this has kind of come out of um, Panning Liebscher, who's the uh, director of Jesus Culture and the pastor of Jesus Culture Church in Sacramento, who's kind of, we are part of that family. He, um, he was with us earlier in the year and, and said he felt like the Lord said that there were two gifts that he was giving us as a local church family. One was a gift of hunger um, and one was a gift of faith for salvation. So we want to kind of be intentional about what does that mean? Like, you know, when you receive a, a prophetic word, it's kind of like, okay, what do I do with that? I mean, what does that look like? So for the hunger part, that gift of hunger, what does that um what does that look like? Um, and so that series video um is is actually adapted, the the wording is adapted from a quote by um A.W. Tozer, who was an American pastor, first half of last century. And um, I love, it does a great job at getting across um, a heart that, listen, this is a journey. Um, And what I love about the the sort of the language and the quote um, that he uses that, listen, there's this tension between being supremely thankful and mindful and remind ourselves and being aware of what God's done for us but equally not settling. Um, so I'm thankful for what I've known, what I've received, what I've experienced of God. Um, but actually that we would be inspired as a church family to not settle there, but actually to move on. Um, so, you know, that, that place of living intention of, I am entirely satisfied by God, but I'm absolutely thirsty for more. That's a good tension to live in. Um, and that's where I want us to be. And so in setting the scene, I want to say, um, just like Izzy said, you know, listen, there is no place for shame and condemnation for us as God's kids. Those of us who are in Jesus, it says there is no condemnation for us anymore. And so maybe what's been our experience in the past, um, listen, that never has to define or limit or direct where we're heading in the future in any area of our life, but in this as much as anything else. And, and equally our current position, like where we find ourselves, where we feel like we're at in terms of um, actually our desire for God, our our hunger for him and our kind of our passion and our zeal for his kingdom. Listen, where you are now, again, that doesn't need to be where you stay. And so maybe you find yourself in a position where you like that, you know, a video like that, kind of language like that from Tozer just kind of leaves you a bit cold. It's like, well, I don't know if I am desiring more of God. I don't know if I am thirsty for God. Listen, there's no condemnation at all, whether that's where you find yourself or not. But, um, but actually, on any journey, one of the most helpful things to start off knowing is, um, yeah, okay, where do I want to get to? But equally, where am I now? And if we're not honest and real about where we're at right now, um, it's difficult to plan a route for where we want to get to. I've told you this before. One of one time before the days of Satnav, that was actually a thing. Um, Phil and I were on a car journey heading down south, and the motorway was shut. And it had happened only very recently. We got diverted off the motorway. So you kind of had to find your own, um, navigate your own way. And so we got out our big AA map book, used to have, pre-days of sat-nav. And I was driving, Phil had the map. And after about 20, 30 minutes, I was like, this doesn't feel right. You know, you're kind of looking at the destination signs and I'm just like, I'm not sure. So we pulled over and had a look at the map. And I was like, right, so we, we need to get back onto the motorway at this point. So I said to Phil, right, so where are we now? And he's like, well, I've no idea. I was like, 
ensued some great big row. But listen, if you don't know where you are, I'm like, I, I know we need to get to this junction on the M6, but if you can't tell me where we are now, we are not in a good situation. Um, and listen, that, that's the case. So be real, like know where you are and be real about it. But listen, there is no place for condemnation wherever you find yourself. And so I want us to be real about that. And But I think in that, in that kind of recognition for all of us, every single one of us in that room will, f will feel to greater or lesser extent, this is where I am, this is maybe where I want to be, and there's a gap, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Like we're living in that tension of, actually I'm thankful for what I have, but I am thirsty for more. I'm not there yet. Listen, we need to be super careful that in our thinking, it's not so much, I'm not where I ought to be, I'm not where I should be, um, because actually that, that can discourage us and that can kind of squash us with condemnation. I want to encourage you, more your language needs to be, listen, I'm not where I could be. Now that opens up possibility. I'm not where I should be, it condemns me. I'm not where I could be, opens my eyes to the possibility that there's more, and there is. So that's where I want us to start. Okay, this is where I am, this is where I could be, so now let's plan a route. So now how do I get there? And that's kind of where we want to head for this um, journey. And so all of this is summed up in the Bible. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians 3. Because um, I think this is um, verses 7 to 14. This is kind of what Paul's talking about, this whole living in that tension of where I am now and where I, I want to be, where I could be. So um, I'm going to read that to you. Why don't we pray um, before I do that? Father, I want to thank you that you are with us. I want to thank you that you, um, you do have life in all its fullness for all of your children. Um, and so, Father, we don't, want to be dis we don't want to discount ourselves. We don't want to settle for anything less than fullness. Um, and to be a people who are hungry for you, who, who do really want to actively pursue the fullness that you have for us, um, God, would you cultivate that in us? Holy Spirit, would you make us hungry and thirsty? Um, so yeah, just um, be with us this morning. Open up your word to us um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation of in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So really well-known passage wonderful passage of scripture and and he starts off with kind of he's talking in accounting terms really um so in the first part of this chapter the first few verses which i didn't read paul basically is talking about the things that um he could have put confidence in he looks at all the earthly religious cultural things so the family he was born into the kind of the walk he'd had as a religious leader he said all the things that he thought were valuable things that he could have and did actually place his confidence in um, before he met Jesus. So all his previous attempts at 
righteousness. Righteousness meaning just being in right relationship with God. So he lists off all these things. He's like, if anyone had any reason to be confident, I had more. Like you could tick the list of all the things that actually could have qualified him. But he's coming into this recognition and this kind of everything that was in the plus column, the profit column. Now, in comparison to knowing Jesus, it all goes in the loss column. So it's accounting, the sort of an accounting analogy. Um, the shift comes that he said, listen, nothing comes close to comparing to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. The Amplified Version translates it as the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Jesus. It's all rubbish. The, I mean, the word he uses actually means street dung. It's quite a graphic term. Um, you could put your own word in there. Like, that's how strong he is. It's actually, in comparison to knowing Jesus, all of that stuff is absolute rubbish to being found in Jesus, to the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus and no other way. He's like, listen, this is the supreme prize. Jesus is the great reward and our new position in Jesus it trumps everything. Like nothing comes close to that. So he sums it up in verse 10. With all of that understanding, verse 10 says this, I want to know Christ. I want to know that power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So there's three things that essentially he says he wants to know. He wants to know Jesus. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. And he talks about participation in his sufferings. Now, it's really tempting, and I was tempted just to gloss over that third one. So I'm like, I don't really know what, I don't really know what that means. You know, Paul's saying he wants, he wants to know about this participating in his sufferings. Now, listen, I do not think what Paul's saying and what we should say is actually we, it would be normal for us to actively want to suffer like Jesus, to be rejected, to be tortured, to be put to death unjustly. Like, I wouldn't want those things. But I think what he's saying is, listen, he's, he's so found this prize of being in Jesus that his view is, listen, even if, even when I suffer like Jesus or in other ways, listen, it's just another way I get to know him more. It's just another way I get to experience his resurrection power in me, through me, for me. It's a different perspective in the context of knowing Jesus um, but it's, you know, I have to say to you, I'm, honestly, it's a tricky bit of the Bible. I'm like, I don't quite know what to do with those verses in 10 and 11. Actually, do I want to participate in Jesus' suffering? No, I don't think I do. But do I want to be in Jesus and know more? Absolutely, I do. Does that mean at times suffering? Yeah, it does. So we need to kind of be okay with that. But for us setting off this series, I want to kind of focus on the... Um, that idea of being hungry to know Jesus and to know his power um, and what it is for us as a church family, but as individuals to say, actually, how do we do those two things? And those two things specifically, knowing Jesus and knowing his power, Paul specifically prays for the church in those areas in, other, in one of his other letters in Ephesians. Um, so I want to look at both those two things. So firstly, knowing Jesus. So the first thing he says, I want to know Christ. The amplified version of verse 10, I'm going to read it to you, translates it like this. He says, and this, so that I may know him experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. Like that's what knowing means. Listen, there is nothing in the Bible that should that suggests or should allow us to settle for a, a life of faith that is about knowing things about a distant God, you know, having a mental agreement with a set of external concepts. Like that's just not 
that's just not what the, the Bible shows is a life of faith. It isn't. It's always been about relationship from the beginning of the Bible to the end. It's always been about being in relationship with God and knowing God, not knowing about him, but really knowing him. And that is true for you just as much as anybody else. Um, you know, and I'm, I would, you know, I'd hope none of you in a relationship, in a marriage would settle for, um, you know, a mental agreement with a concept that your husband or your wife loves you. Like, that would just be weird. Like, don't settle for that. Or, you know, with kids, actually do, you know, would, is it good enough that my kids believe some things about me as a mum? Like, no, that would be really weird and clunky. Um, there's no way we would, there's no way we would accept or settle for that in our human relationships. But actually, I often think we do with our relationship with Jesus. And we settle for um, an awareness of something or a maybe, you know, an abstract agreement with a concept or a theory. Um, but that's not it. Actually, no, I want to know Phil. I want to know that he loves me. I want him to know that I love him. Like, I want, I want to know him. I don't want to know about Phil. I want to know him. And my kids, like, like I don't want them to be able to kind of point to me and, and, and have a list of, um, you know, a five-point thing of this is what mums do. Like, I don't want them to know about the theory of parenting like I want them to know a mum and dad who and they experience that I love them that I want to protect them that I want to provide for them I don't want them to believe in that as a concept I want them to know that because they know me but honestly we settle for way less in our relationship with God we're happy to point to an external truth that God loves me without really having experience what does that look like feel like sound like what difference does that make now listen it's absolutely true you know, just as in a marriage, do I always feel overwhelmed with love for Phil? No, sometimes I feel really ticked off with him. <laughs> it's hard to believe, I know, right? But like you, like you know this, that love is a choice as much as a feeling. But listen, if the only thing I experienced in my marriage to Phil was choosing to love him, I, I mean, that's not great, is it? So, on, so there's times when you choose. Do you know what? There's times in my walk with the Lord where I don't feel it. I don't understand it. Um, but there is a, a choice to say, God, I choose to trust you. Don't feel it, don't understand it, struggling to see it, but I'm going to step out in faith. So absolutely, there's times in our walk of faith where that is how it is. But listen, I don't think that's all it should be. And I just wonder whether sometimes we settle for, I'm just not one of those, one of those kind of people, you know, the sort of touchy-feely Christians. That's for some and not others. I just don't, I just don't think that's right. You wouldn't settle for it in your human relationships, or if you would, I would encourage you not to. But honestly, sometimes we have a different standard for actually what we should expect to experience in a walk with Jesus than actually we would with human relationships. That doesn't make sense. So absolutely it's true. Listen, we live by faith, not by feelings. Okay? That is true. And sometimes faith is an active choice. I choose to trust you. I choose to believe you. I choose to believe you love me. And we stand on that. But I do not think my spiritual walk should only be that. I just don't. You know, and it's, so it's a valid biblical precedent to want to know Jesus intimately and to want to genuinely encounter those things. This is where Paul prays for it. In Ephesians chapter 3, he's praying for the church. Okay, he's praying for us. And chapter 3, verse 19, this is from the Amplified Version again. It's this beautiful prayer that we would basically know God's love, that we'd be rooted in the love of Jesus, that he'd come to live in us. Verse 19 in the Amplified Version is translated by this. This is a valid biblical prayer. You can take it, okay? His prayer is that they would, you would come to know practically through personal experience 
the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled up throughout your being to all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. If anyone was feeling like actually that kind of touchy-feely, emotional Christianity is probably unbiblical and unsafe and unsound, it's right there in the Bible. Paul, great father in the early church, prayer for the church was that we would know practically through personal experience. Listen, I am massively encouraged and inspired when I see kind of you got meet with God and when I see you overcome things and you break through. There's, there's absolutely a place for that and seeing what God does in a church family. But there absolutely is a place for personal experience and encountering with the love of God for you as a person, that you would know it for yourself through experience. We're still a people who are called to live by faith, but we're absolutely to be called to be kids who experience that um, love as well. So if you're thinking about, you know, this kind of how, you know, what's this roadmap of kind of pursuing getting hungry for God? The Bible is telling us, listen, that in terms of destination, regardless of where you are now, the destination, what's promised and possible and permissible to pray for is, God, that I would experience your love for myself in real, practical, tangible ways. That's a valid thing to pray. That needs to be part of your destination. Wherever you find yourself right now, that's somewhere that you can be heading towards. Knowing God's love, knowing Jesus, the greatest, greatest prize. Second thing, knowing his power. So the second half of verse 10, again, I'm going to read it from the Amplified. It says that, and in that same way, we would experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows and is active in believers. Listen, it's, imp- it's really important that we are as hu- we're as hungry for that as well. Like the first port is always knowing Jesus and being known by him. But, but being hungry and actually to know actually that power of God is really important. I think it's part of what will help us becoming egocentric. Because as much as I'm saying, listen, on the one hand, personal, practical encounters for yourself with the love of God are promised, permissible, you should pray for them. You should expect them. Absolutely is. But listen, as much as it, so it is about you, it's definitely not all about you. Like there is, there is a place from encounter for us to move from and knowing actually that power of the resurrection is what points us outwards. It's actually, we go from a place of encountering his love, truly rooted in the love of God, compelled by love, Paul talks about, but actually that we go in power. And we should be as hungry to know the power of the resurrected Jesus as well. Not just about experiencing his love, but going in his power as well. And again, Paul prays for that very specifically. This is in Ephesians 1. This is Paul's other great prayer for the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 20. I'm going to read this from the Phillips translation. So it says this. His prayer is that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the all-glorious Father, would give you spiritual wisdom and the insight to know more of him. It's there again. Starts off that you'd know him, not a know about him, that you would know more of him. That you may receive the inner illumination of the Spirit, which will make you realise how great is the hope to which he's calling you the magnificence and the splendor of the inheritance promised to Christians and how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. That same power, that power is the same divine power which was demonstrated in Christ when he raised him from the dead and gave him the place of supreme honor in heaven. Again, it is a valid biblical prayer 
that Paul prayed for the early church, that we should be praying over ourselves, that we'd have our eyes open to the reality, to the fullness of what our inheritance as sons and daughters is. It starts with me. It does start with me knowing him more, but it doesn't end there. It's got to have an out. Yeah? His prayer is, listen, that we, our eyes will be open to the magnificence and splendor of our inheritance. That's amazing. And part of our inheritance is not just restored identity and acceptance and affirmation by a good father who's called us back as sons and daughters. Like, that is our inheritance. That is our new identity. But it, our, the hope of our inheritance comes with power as well. He says, how tremendous is the power. It's available to us who believe in God. Again, it's not, the power of resurrected Jesus isn't a theoretical external concept. It's available to us who believe in God, all of us. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what it says here. But we settle for less. And I think it's because we don't believe or expect the more or the fullness that we don't go after it. We're not hungry for it. We're not praying for it, looking for it, stepping out in it. And so we don't see it. We settle for less. And so it's really important that actually, this is why we call this series, that we're hungry for God, for his heart and for his kingdom. But listen, it's not just that I'm hungry for his heart for me, although I am. Like I'm hungry for his heart for you. And for people in Manchester who don't know him, and for people who are lost, and people who are sick, and people who are oppressed, I'm hungry to see the power of God for those people. It's got to have an out. Actually, to see the power of God demonstrated, it's not just a theory God can heal, that it's an absolute reality. Jesus heals. It's not just a theory that Jesus can save anybody. Actually, to see the reality of Jesus saving, healing, delivering people, and adding to them this church family, we need to be hungry for that. But we need the power of God in order to do that. So we can't settle for, you know, knowing Jesus, you know, really personally and practically for ourselves and for actually experiencing that power that's available to us, that overflows in us as believers. Listen, we cannot settle for that being for certain special Christians or for you know, certain places around the world or for certain times in history. That's settling for way less and that's not good enough. You know, we can't settle for theory. You know, we need to be hungry for experience and for evidence of his kingdom. You know, I'm really, I'm tired of just having the lingo. Yeah, like I don't want to just sing the songs. Like I really want to know it and I really want to walk in it. And I want that for us as a church. I really do. And yes, it's for me, but it's not just for me. It's in me and through me on behalf of others as well. And so we can find ourselves in that place like Paul, which I love in verses sort of 12 onwards where, you know, he's, Paul's hunger to know Jesus, to know his presence, you know, to know his power and his kingdom, um, that's the thing that motivates him and fuels him to, to keep going. And he's really honest. Verse 12, he says, listen, not that I've already obtained all this. Like, and every single one of us could say that. I, like, I'm so not there yet. I've definitely not got all this down. I haven't obtained all this or arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so often we don't press on, we settle, and we just tread water. We're just, well, this is better than where I was, so I'll hang on here till heaven. Like, that's not it. We need to press on. So we need to have that honest evaluation, that honest awareness of, hey, I'm not there yet. I'm not where I want to be, and I'm not where I could be. But listen, that doesn't disqualify me. It doesn't distract me. That doesn't mean I'm now just settled here actually it motivates me to press on which is what Paul says in verse 14 I press on to the goal 
to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Paul's whole life had a strong eternal perspective and it's important that we do that. Like, you know, heaven is real. Like eternal life with Jesus is real. Um, you know, part of our motivation in actually, you know, people who don't know Jesus is heaven is real and I want you to be there. Actually, to, we would be, I guess that we'd be hungry with heaven in mind. Heaven in the future, but actually bringing heaven down now. It's so important. Paul had a strong future vision, a very strong heaven focus, which I think meant he was able to endure all the stuff that he did endure and was able to keep going. Because listen, heaven on earth is our assignment now, yeah? Two of you agree. Heaven on earth is our assignment right now for all of us, okay? But heaven then is the promise for future. Like heaven forever is my future promise. Heaven now on earth, as it is in heaven, that is my assignment. That is that's what's available and promised to us now. But but promising is also there is that eternal promise as well. And you know everything in in Paul's current in his running, his sort of struggling between I'm not there yet, but I want to be is is with that view in mind. You know actually that God's called me heavenwards. There is that there is that time when we are going to stand before Him. You know, and hear that, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and like, there is that day coming. Like, and I think we need, to, we need to be mindful of that. And listen, there's no fear for us in that. Absolutely not. Really clear in 1 John, there's no fear for us. Perfect love casts out fear. So we're confident on judgment day. Um, but it, there is that, that onward call, that heavenward call. The, the New American Standard Version um, translates it, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Anyone read the Narnia stories? C.S. Lewis stories in the, in the last battle um, and Aslan is running ahead and he keeps calling back to the kids farther up and farther in farther up and farther in like, keeps calling them upwards like listen that upward call of God starts the minute we get saved like we need to be hungry to pursue God but with a heavenly perspective with heaven in mind as our future promise but also with our current assignment it's really important we're not there yet but we can be and we will be, but we need to position ourselves to go. And so, listen, this morning is about an invitation, really. I think it's, um, it's about our recognition. Listen, this is a journey for all of us. Um, and I want to release every single one of you from any pressure that, um, you know, being hungry for God looks a certain way. It looks like a certain person. I don't think that's right. And we're going to unpack kind of what does that look like? You know, what, what does it look like? Um, just like, do you know what? Actually, experiencing the love of God practically through experience for yourself that's going to look different for you than it is for me and that's fine but you know sometimes it looks different for me experiencing God's love today than it did a couple of months ago and I think we need to be super careful that we don't discount ourselves from how we experienced God or you know becoming hungry or pursuing God um, don't count yourself out but equally don't limit God don't put God in a box for you know what's it what's it's going to look like for you in you through you don't put God in a box. He wants to meet you and he wants to pull us into this journey of becoming increasingly hungry and thirsty for him. And he knows how to do that. And I, so I want to encourage you, um, do not count yourself out. Don't feel any pressure that it has to look like A, B or C. But, but equally, be open to the fact it might look, sound, feel, taste, look massively different than you thought. And that's okay. Um, and part of this is choice. Um, 
Yeah, part of this is actually about uh, it can be a choice of the will. And again, that's not what we settle for in marriage. It's not what we settle for in a life of faith. But there is times when it is, actually. You know, I remember times when my, um, I've shared a bit of my older sister's journey with infertility and miscarriage. And I remember the first time we'd been fasting and praying for her um, and her husband to be able to conceive for months and months and months. And she, you know, she was pregnant and it was just amazing. And I remember getting a phone call from my dad. She, um, in tears my dad is of the the generation that who i don't see my dad cry and she was 11 weeks pregnant on holiday with her husband in france and, and miscarried and had to go off to a hospital on her own and lose this so longed for so prayed for baby and it was just shattering and then there were you know years of journey with infertility and miscarriage it was you know really challenging but i remember that that first moment that first time when we lost that little one absolutely shattered and i remember um you know, I think I was supposed to be speaking on the Sunday, and I just said to Phil, "I've got nothing. Like I, I can't." And I, and it took me weeks, actually, weeks and weeks and weeks to. You know, I was. So if you're talking about actually the whole of me, Sarah, body, mind, soul, spirit, I was like, Do you know what? I've got, I've got no faith. I've got nothing. I feel utterly brokenhearted. I feel furious with you, God. I feel so let down. I feel so disappointed. I feel so confused. You know, why answer the prayer? Then she falls pregnant and then the baby, like, I'm so confused. And I remember getting to that point. So I was like, Phil, I, I, can't, I can't do anything. I can't stand and, and share anything. And I remember coming to the point weeks later, feeling like, God, the only thing I've got to give you right now is a choice of the will to say, I trust you. I don't feel like I love you. I don't feel like I like you. I don't feel like I like what's happening. I don't feel like I've got any faith I don't feel spiritually strong at all. All I've got is a choice of the will to say, I trust you. Honestly, I had this weird experience of feeling God's pleasure like I never have before. You know, so all the times when I come full of faith and spiritually strong and, you know, just the joy of the Lord in my heart and feel like my whole person can, like, I literally had nothing other than say, just as a choice of the will, I trust you. I believe that you're good. I believe that you don't change. I believe that you're faithful. I don't feel it. I don't understand it. I choose to believe it. It was honestly all it was was a choice of the will. Listen, thank God that's not my whole journey. And I, it's massively different there. My sister adopted a beautiful little boy last year, and we've seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. We've seen him change and restore stuff. But listen, there is a time when I think us choosing really makes God happy. So maybe you're one of those people like, I don't feel it. I don't feel desperately hungry, incredibly passionate. I don't feel full of faith and expectation. Listen, that's okay. Honestly, there's such a beautiful value in saying, despite all of that stuff, God, I'm going to come and trust you. I'm going to come and I'm going to pray those prayers that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, that I would know you for myself, that I would know that power of God in me, for me, and through me. Don't feel it, don't understand it, don't believe it, but I choose. There's a real beautiful value in that. And I feel like for some of us, it is actually a bit of a choice. Maybe don't feel passionately hungry. And that's the difference with physical hunger, isn't it? Like physical hunger is really, you're always really aware, I am always really aware, I'm hungry. Um, it's super easy for us to actually be totally unaware of actual spiritual hunger and spiritual need. Um, so often it's because we're sort of snacking on other stuff. John Piper has this beautiful quote where he says, um, you know, so often if we don't feel hungry for the things of the Lord, it's because um, he said we're so snacking on the world and filling our soul that we don't have room for the great. You know, and knowing Jesus is the great, like him as the prize is the great thing that we need to be hungry for. And, and we need, but we need to make space for that. And, we, and 
but I, I want to say, if you don't feel it this morning, it's okay. Just choose. If you don't understand it all, that's okay. Choose. Choose to stand on the fact that that is promised and permissible for you to pray and stand on. It's there in the Bible. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is, listen, let's, let's make a choice to pursue getting hungry. And some of you might feel like, do you know what? I am so hungry for God. Some of you might be in that place and that's beautiful. But I want, to, I want us all to know that we can, we can move forward, not discounted, not limiting ourselves and definitely not limiting God either. Let's be aware of where we're at right now. This is where I'm starting the journey and that's okay. But no, listen, there's so much more that could be and will be. Um, and I want to believe for that and I want to position for that. So it's about, listen, I'm not settling for where I am, not settling for what I feel, not settling for what I've experienced before. I am going to position myself to say, God, I, I, I am thirsty for more than you. Then one of the prayers probably I've prayed as much in my life as anything else is, God, I want to want you more. I need to need you more because I'm so aware that it's easy for me to settle for what feels comfortable, reasonable, rational, what feels manageable, and, and just to get distracted and consumed by other things. But actually, it's such a healthy prayer to say, God, keep me in that unsettled place. I'm so satisfied and thankful for what you've given me. But I'm so hungry and thirsty for more. So what do you stand? And then I'd love for us to pray. I want to pray some of that, um, that prayer from Ephesians 1 over you, actually. Um, so... Yeah, why don't you close your eyes or not, hold your hands out or not, put your hand on your heart or not. It doesn't have to look any way, but just make a choice. God, I want to get hungry and I want to pray this over you. Father, I ask for every single person, every beloved child in this room, God, I ask that God, the Lord of, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, your all-glorious Father, God, would you give each person spiritual wisdom and insight to know more of you, Father, I ask that each person would receive that inner illumination of the Spirit. God, that we would all realise in new ways, maybe for the first time, but in deeper ways, God, we'd realise how great is the hope that, to which he's calling us. God, we'd know the magnificence and splendour of the inheritance promised to each and every Christian and the tremendous power that is available to all of us who believe in God. So Father, I want to say that I'm hungry for more of you. I'm hungry for more of your kingdom. God, I want to know your heart. I want to see your power demonstrated. God, we want to see your kingdom come in us. God, we want to encounter you. We want to overcome the things that hold us back. But God, we want to know your power through us as well. Father, we declare we want to be a church that is hungry to see the lost saved, to see the sick healed, to see the broken restored. God, we want to see our family grow and we want a demonstration of the power that is in us to get out. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you'd come and um, would you come and do that in us and through us? God, we want to want you more. We need to need you more. And Father, wherever we find ourselves this morning, wherever the start of our journey is, God, I ask that you give each one of us just an absolute determination that I'm not going to settle. There really is more. So Holy Spirit, would you come and do that in us? Would you come and spark that and fuel that and stir that up in us? And um, God, I just want to bless this church family as we just start this new season and, and of pursuing you, being hungry for you, for your heart, for your kingdom. Father, thank you that you know the individual journey that everybody in this room needs to take. You know where they are right now. You know the plans that you have for them and they're good plans. Um, so Father, we just trust ourselves 
We trust our steps into your hands, God. We say we want to follow you. So Father, I ask that people would feel encouraged. Father, that people would know that there's so much more that's available to them, for them, in them and through them. And Jesus, in all of it, we ask that um, your name would be lifted up, your kingdom would be extended and your church would be made um, more beautiful in this city. So we love you, God. We want to know more of you. And uh, Lord, we just, we just say we're excited to walk this journey with you and with each other. In Jesus' name.